Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Hello and welcome to Multifamily Investing Made Simple in Under 10 Minutes, the podcast that is all about taking the complexity out of real estate investing in under 10 minutes, as the name would imply. Today, we're going to, at lightning speed, take all of the complexity out of valuations. How are these buildings valued? How does the bank value them? How do other investors value them? It's a big, sticky quandary, but we're going to wade right in and we're going to do it. We're going to answer it in under 10 minutes. So, Dan... We're up to our hips in it. You ready? A sticky quandary. Yes. A sticky quandary. Well, you know, before the show, we were talking about you having a kid and started talking about how kids are all sticky. And so it's just on top of mind. That was new information for me. I wasn't, I wasn't aware the kids were sticky. You are unprepared to have a kid. I'm telling you that now. If this is news to you, anyways. Okay. So we've wasted about a minute. <laughs> that, that's, you know, we're giving... Uh, valuation. We're giving the episode a head start here. Yeah. So let's talk about valuations. And specifically, there's three ways that a bank is going to typically appraise a property that we're talking about, a multifamily property in this instance. And so that's going to be based off of comparables, based off of income, and based off of replacement costs. So, Dan, what is, you know valuing a building based on comparables. What's that all about? Well, that's going to be similar to the single family home and uh, smaller property valuation technique that a lot of people are probably familiar with. Uh, If anyone's ever bought a home or thought about buying a home and and started to have that conversation with a realtor, they'll know that they always look at comparable properties to determine what the value of uh, any given property is going to be. So it's always based off of what a similar property sold for in a similar area relatively recently. So that's a portion of it. But the nice part about the larger multifamily space is that is a small portion of it. And the majority of the valuation is actually weighted towards one of the other methods, which is income-based. And that's the best part of the deal. Exactly. But before we move on comparables, like, let me just restate this story. I know I've said it so many times, but you know, the based off the comparables is a super frustrating experience because it's really just moving based off of what the neighbors or the, the local market dictates. And it's not really based off of you and the control or the, the amount of good work or bad work that you did on the property. You could go in there and drive up the rents and drive down expenses and run it like a boss. Um, but you know, if the guy next door sold his house for, you know, $250,000, well, you're going to have a hard time getting the 400000 that you think it deserves. So that's, that's for me, just a really frustrating metric basing off of the comparables. The income approach is a much better approach for me because it's, it's uh, valuing these buildings as though they were like a business, which is based off of their net operating income divided by the capitalization rate. So the NOI, the net operating income, is just you know the difference between your top line revenue subtracting all your operational uh, expenses. So if we increase the revenue and we decrease the expenses, we've increased our NOI. And that's what we like because we go into these properties and we're rewarded for doing good work. 
But what is the capitalization rate? That's one that's one lever here that we don't have control of. What's that all about, Dan? Yeah, the capitalization rate is uh, a figure that is derived from recent transactions in the marketplace. And what happens is we, we look at prior sales of properties and look at what NOI they generated and what their price was that they traded at. And that gives us uh, an equation. And uh, so basically we're saying if someone's paying a million dollars for something that produces $100,000 of income, that represents a certain rate of return. In this case, in this example I just uh, made there, that's 10%. Because if you divide the net operating income by the purchase price, you get essentially a rate of return if you were to have bought that property at all cash. And so that is what a capitalization rate is. basically the return that the market is currently demanding for a particular asset type in a particular area. And so in really hot markets, people are fine with a lower return. In less hot markets, people are going to want a higher return. So then prices and, and cap rates are actually inversely correlated, which could be a little bit tricky for people to understand first. Yeah, I think it was Charles Dobin's The uh, real estate attorney. We had him on the show, I think probably around episode 20 or so. And he was saying that he thinks of the cap rate as the most important, powerful force in the universe. Because what it is, it's the multiplier. It's uh, whatever our NOI is, it's what we're going to be multiplying that against. So we're trying to have uh, you know the lowest cap rate as possible that's going to have the most multiplying effect, which is kind of counterintuitive. You would think the bigger cap rate would be better, but it's uh, it's inverted. But the problem with the cap rate is that we don't really have any control over it. It's dictated again by the market, but that's still better than going off the comparable methods of valuation because at least going in, we know what that cap rate is. Like we have a good idea of what we bought it at and we can project out and say, okay, depending on how the market might harden or soften, we know relatively certainly like where it's going to be within a certain range. So we can project our valuations much easier than we could off of comparables, which leaves. And they typically change uh, pretty slowly as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. So. You know, if you, you know, if there's a market change that you didn't really anticipate, it's it's not like it's going to happen overnight. It's going to be a very slow evolution over over years. So you see it coming. You know, it's a much different animal than the stock market. Yeah, exactly. You can, if you know what the cap rate is in your market, you're not forced into a selling position. You can maybe have more time to sit back and wait and see what it's going to do. So it's never going to take you by surprise, whereas a comparable really could. Like I've had that situation where I ran a comparable on a property that we refinanced and it came back 125000 more than what we thought it was going to come in at. So like, you can be really thrown, uh, thrown out of the left field there. Yeah, and just to clarify for the listeners, I think that was on a, a duplex or triplex or something. A triplex, yep. A different, yeah, different asset class, a little bit smaller, and so the way that it was valued is different than the bigger multifamily. And that was actually one of the fundamental reasons for me looking at small multifamily and saying, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I I need to go up to where the the buildings are based off of, I would say, merit based valuations more so. It's just too subjective, I think. Exactly. Perhaps. Yeah, which then leaves like the the third method of valuation, which we don't have too much experience with, but it is the replacement cost or the construction cost. And this is just, hey, if this building was to burn down, how much would it cost to like rebuild it from the ground up? Yeah, yeah, I think this one uh, might come more into play with uh, 
A-class new builds. Um, we don't really play in that space, so I couldn't tell you from firsthand experience if that's true. Um, but from our perspective, when we're you know when we get an appraisal on a property, uh, we always get the report from the appraisal company, and uh, that component is is weighted very low, if if at all. It's always going to be something like seventy percent income based, and maybe twenty uh, percent uh, comps, and then like a, a small little slivers to replacement costs. But it's pretty much negligible in our space. Yeah, the the one exception to that might be insurance companies. They might be paying more uh, closely close attention to this because they want to know, like, hey, we're insuring this thing in the case that it burns down. How much is it going to cost us to rebuild it? And so that's that's maybe where it would come into play the most. But from a bank's perspective, I haven't really seen them care too much or too deeply about the the replacement cost. Yeah, the insurance uh, guy is the only one I've ever you know, had that conversation with or where that number has been discussed. Everyone else, it's pretty much... Those are the three methods of valuing different types of real estate. We have the uh, comparables, the income-based, and the replacement cost or the construction cost. And so hopefully that has simplified everything on the topic. You have no more questions. But if you do, go check out some of the other episodes that we've done. I'm sure we've answered some of those questions. Like if you're curious about the cap rate and really diving into understanding that, we've done multiple episodes on that. So go check it out and do us a favor before you take off. Go and leave us a review over at iTunes or on Spotify or Google Podcasts, wherever you're happening to listen to this at. It helps us. It helps us get uh, more traction. It helps us spread the word, spread the love. And, you know, it gives us the warm and fuzzies that you're listening and that you care. So that's going to do it for us, guys. We'll catch you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.